Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Episode 262 of the show. I am one half of your hosting duo. My name is Noah Baker. The man to my right. It's a little snowy on our stretch here in the Midwest. That's Dominic Salee. He is a good boy and does a lot of good things for his community. A real credit to his community. Dominic, how are you feeling coming off of a very, I would say, good pay-per-view in UFC 283 with its quirks about it? Uh, perhaps certain elements of different fights, um, maybe certain fights making people feel pretty shitty by the end. Uh, maybe the crowd being a source of controversy. You know, been a while since some of these things have popped up in MMA, so... Dominic, kind of a mixed bag here, but how are you feeling coming off of it all? Yeah, it was an interesting night of fights uh, in Brazil. The first time UFC had been there since the March show in 2020, if I'm not mistaken, when COVID first hit. It was the first event without mm -hmm. a crowd, technically. Um, so they were wild. They were wound up and ready to go. Um, the, the crowd had some good moments. The crowd had some not-so-good go moments, but... Uh, I feel like the heat of the moment just hits for these other countries when their fighters are fighting and they mm. happen to lose. It just gets really ugly, really aggressive sometimes. Poor Brandon Moreno, especially the guy who had to sprint out of the arena. Uh, but you know what? The card, uh, in terms of what we got to see in the cage, was pretty damn solid. I mean, the prelims were pretty decent. The main card was good. Lots of finishes. There were still a very good chunk of Brazilian fighters that got their hand raised last night. So... I think all in all, it was a pretty good night, a pretty entertaining night as a fight fan. I'm excited to break it down some with you. Yeah, if any of the people listening to this episode are from Brazil or Brazilian in any way, or even maybe we're at this event, uh, please do not take any sort of offense because I know that Brazilian MMA fans are very ravenous, they're very great, they are good for the sport. Obviously, Brazil is a big origin spot in a lot of ways for what we know as today as MMA. And it deserves its respect because of that. But I am going to be honest, Dom. Um, you know, the Brandon Moreno stuff, the shower and him would be, you know, it's kind of like whatever. Like, I mean, Brandon Moreno took it and all, it, it was all good fun for him. So, I mean, nothing got too, like, uh, too crazy. I mean, uh, uh, they were booing all the international fighters, at least they're international to them. I mean, Americans have been doing that for decades now. Mm -hmm. it, it's it, I'm not saying it's something that people should do, but it's just, you know, people do it. So I'm not going to pretend like it ain't going to happen. I'm not going to judge them differently than I judge every American crowd that does it. But Dominic, you know, the part that was disappointing for me with this crowd was the only moments that I felt like there was any energy in that crowd was when they were booing fighters that either beat their love, beloved Brazilians or uh, were fighting their beloved Brazilians. Unfortunately, when Glover Teixeira, which we'll get into in the main event, lost, and he went to give his retirement speech, there was nobody in the building. They had left. Now... Maybe it was due to, you know, you let Jamal Hill speak first. Maybe they're just upset with the result. They all leave. It's the end of the show. Whatever. 
But throughout the whole night, Dom, I didn't feel the energy from this crowd for 90% of it. And it's the first time I've said that about an MMA, UFC crowd in a long time. I felt like our small show in Bellator at Chicago was louder than what I heard here in Brazil. This wasn't much louder than your average Apex card. So, shout out to Miss Brazil, by the way, who showed up for like the early prelims. <laughs> I don't think, uh, I think someone must have forgotten to tell her that, uh, that uh, the celebrities don't show up till the main card, ma'am. So, if you'd like to go back and come back in and make your big entrance, then uh, that would be fine. But no, um, all in all, it was a good event. Just uh, the, the crowd just made it kind of weird for me. Um, it was just a very mixed bag of a crowd, I thought, and more negative than positive. And I don't, it surprises me to say that because Brazilian MMA fans are some of the best in the world. Yeah, that that's odd. Um, also, too, I just want to say quickly before we get into the main event, apparently showing up for the first fight of the night is just an international thing in which people just don't do that often. <laughs> there were still not many people there outside of <laughs> Miss Brazil, like Noah said. It's it's crazy to me still that people pay so much money to go see fights, Noah, and hardly anyone is there from the start of the show to the end. I, it's just it's it's crazy. I just had to point that out that it doesn't just happen here in the states. It's it's worldwide phenomena apparently, and we need to fix it. Yeah, uh, fair point. I don't know if we'll ever fix it with the celebrities that show up for the main card because I mean they're pulling. Benjamin's out of their couch cushions to go to these events so I don't or actually they're not uh the UFC usually pays for them to be there so uh no wonder they they show up so late uh you know I can't imagine the, I can't imagine a person who needs free tickets more than millionaires so shout out to the UFC shout out to pro sports that continue to dish out tickets for people because everybody knows if you see Mark Wahlberg at a UFC event you're definitely going to buy the next one. They're really growing the sport that way, guys. If I see Logan Paul or right, Jake right. Paul at a UFC <laughs> event, I'm definitely buying the next one. Anyways, I feel like I'm on a little soapbox right now. So let's get into the main event, Dom, that saw a new light heavyweight champion. We have done it. We did not go a second straight pay-per-view. We're at the end of the night after every post-fight interview in cage interview there be a empty spot on the throne of the light heavyweight division jamal hill takes care of business no chill hill he wins every single round of this fight 50 44 on all three judges scorecards in route to a unanimous decision victory it was a very emotional moment in both ways dom you saw the way Jamal Hill, when the moment hit him right after the fight, he collapsed into his corner's arms. Very emotional. A kid from Chicago who, you know, was always, from his story, told he was never going to amount to much. And a lifetime commitment, hard work, dedication has gotten him to the pinnacle of the sport, which is what he's been working towards. And it's a little bit of thrill and agony because in the other corner, you saw Glover Teixeira take a hellacious beating. Too tough for his own good. Uh, fight felt like it should have been stopped at some point 
you know, in the second half of that fight. And he retires. The crowd kind of, there's nobody really there as he announces it. These are his people. This is where he wanted to go out. He goes out obviously losing in that fight. Um, It's a little bit of a mixed bag. Just a lot of emotions I felt in this fight. Both positive emotions for your winner and then these like, by negative I mean like almost sad and just, I felt like it was just a sad, it was just a weird, it was a very mixed bag. I, I, I kept going back and forth on how I felt throughout that final like five minutes after the fight just like really trying to sink it all in so dominic now that we're you know 12 hours removed here uh maybe a little less from that main event how how is it kind of hitting you now you know I, I i know you obviously probably feel similar in both ways sad for glover but happy for jamal so what's kind of your takeaways here? Because obviously it was a one-sided fight. We thought it would be a lot more competitive going in in terms of each guy had an advantage over the other, a conceived advantage, perceived advantage. Now, your takeaways. I think it's hard to come out of that main event not recognizing the whole 25 minutes of work that Jamal Hill put together. His grappling defense and takedown defense and even ability to transition and get up when he did get taken down those one or two times three times at most i did not expect that one bit uh the fact that he was able to do that on a six-week notice against a seasoned veteran like glover Teixeira is insanely impressive to me and then when you add in what he did on the feet he looked as crisp as ever. He was landing big-time shots, precise shots. He didn't get too overzealous. Like, don't get me wrong, he went for the finish a couple times when he felt it presented itself. But as Noah said, Glover's just so damn tough, you, he couldn't put him away. So he was able to conserve his energy for the most part and look good all five rounds. Dude, I mean, I am just stunned at how good Jamal Hill looked in this fight. I was not expecting that whatsoever. Um, and you're right in terms of the ending, the thrill and the agony of this sport. Sometimes it shows so much more than others. And last night was a perfect example. You get the happy tears, you know, from Jamal Hill reaching the pinnacle of that sport after fighting and fighting. The first Dana White Contender Series alum to get a title, by the way, which is uh, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. And then on the other side, Glover retiring, putting the gloves down in the middle of the cage. You know, 43 years old, been there, done that, done so many great things in the octagon for Brazilian MMA. It was just a whirlwind. It really was. The whole night and it's been to be finished off like that with those two guys in an absolute war that they put on. I mean, dude, the, let's look at it this way. Glover Teixeira goes out, by the way, in retirement now with two back-to-back, like, fight of the nights. Obviously, the one with Yuri was a fight of the year. This one, not as close. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that he was still there that whole time and at least threatening, the guy is just amazing. I hope he's in the Hall of Fame one day. And again, just Jamal Hill, I'm so incredibly impressed, Noah. Yeah, completely agree. I definitely was leaning Glover to share going into this fight. Jamal Hill statistically was one of the worst active UFC fighters in terms of his takedown defense. And this just was leaps and bounds better than what we had seen previously. 
Mix that with the fact that we knew Jamal Hill would have a speed advantage, an athletic advantage, a striking, more power punch. He was obviously a faster hand speed, speed everywhere was going to really help him. And that was a huge part of this fight. I think his speed in getting to the takedown defense was masterful. And you know what? I think a big credit needs to be given to for this performance from Jamal Hill is the fact that Jamal Hill and Anthony Smith worked together in the lead up. Uh, Jamal asked Anthony Smith, who was previously scheduled to fight Jamal Hill before Jamal got plucked from that main event to this one for the title. Anthony Smith, the backup for this fight, agreed to prepare Jamal Hill for that fight with Glover Teixeira. You know when you bring Anthony Smith in, a guy who has great submission capabilities and good takedowns, you are going to be working on that over and over and over again. Anthony Smith, while yes, in the mid to late 30s, is very much still a very athletic, very fast guy. So I think Jamal Hill got a lot of good looks by bringing in someone with those kind of capabilities. And once he was in the cage, Glover Teixeira, a bit more slower, stronger version of like an Anthony Smith, he did not have much issue with the strength since he's a pretty strong guy himself. And uh, the speed was just, I mean, he was just in another league when it came to speed in this fight. It's sad for Glover Teixeira, but like you said, what would have happened if Glover wins here and then he retires again? Like, is it better to get us a champion who can now move the division forward? I don't know. I'm not, I wouldn't have been upset, obviously, if Glover had won. I'm just wondering now, like, I didn't want Glover to take that kind of beating, but I'm just saying, like, is him losing the worst thing to happen here? I don't know. I'll let the the people decide that one dom but um for jamal hill what i think is very intriguing about his future prospects and now his this idea of trying to establish a title reign is dominic almost any matchup you can put with him i don't think he's going to be a heavy favorite you look at matchups with the likes of jan blahovich magomed Ankalaev, alexander rakic Probably forgetting a couple guys. I mean, Anthony Smith, I guess you could throw in there. Um, with all these guys, Yuri Prohaska, of course, who did have a little message for the new champ afterwards. Mm-hmm. All these guys would either be a favorite against Jamal Hill in a title fight, or the odds would be very close, Dom. Do you disagree with me on that? No, I think that's pretty accurate. Like, I, I think he did enough here defensively against Glover to ensure that he's never a big underdog necessarily going into any of those matchups. But on the flip side, mm-hmm. I don't think he goes in as a huge favorite over any of them either. I mean, let's look at the immediate future, a uh, Yuri Prohaska. I envision Yuri would probably be the favorite in that fight or at minimum, like a pick em. Uh Magomed, I'd say would be the favorite. But again, after last night, I don't think nothing too drastic. Jan Blahovic, Probably a pick them. Maybe Jamal gets a favorite in that one. Uh, but again, look at those three matchups, which is like the three most reasonable for the future here over the next year at least. And there's not going to be a big odd sway on either side of the coin, which makes it that much more interesting going into the fight. 
much like coming into this fight. We were very intrigued. The odds were relatively close. We saw pros and cons for both guys and how they could win. And I think that's going to kind of happen in these next few fights. Again, I'll say with his takedown defense here, maybe the pros and cons get a little bit narrower and that gets even more. I guess you could even argue that sways more to Jamal Hill's favor. Uh, but I don't know, man. Like him and Yuri specifically, which is probably what will come next at probably the end of the year. I'm imagining that's what they'll do. Uh, or close to the end of the year, assuming Yuri's better by then. That's fascinating, man. Yuri's not afraid to just stand and trade and get into a war. Jamal obviously wants to stand, but it's just a whole different beast striking against Yuri than it is striking against Glover. That's that's an interesting fight for Yuri to return to and for Jamal to make his first title defense, dude. Yeah, I think there's a good chance, though, Dom, that with the the severity of Yuri's injury, I actually think the next matchup that will probably happen will be on Kalaev. Now, mm. I'm not sure if cooler heads will prevail after that, obviously, uh, draw that Magomed had with Jan uh, last month. And, you know, on Kalaev was very upset in the aftermath. Uh, he kind of said he doesn't know if he could ever fight again for that organization the UFC um, I'm sure cooler heads will prevail but it's about if the UFC want to give a guy like on of that title shot who is a terrific fighter maybe even the best fighter in the division uh, skill for skill but has maybe not put on the most exciting fights especially as of late and when you gave him his first title opportunity not only did he sort of underperform in a lot of ways, but it also wasn't a very good fight and there wasn't a clear winner at the end of it. So it might be a tough proposition, but if Jamal Hill wants to stay active, someone's going to get that shot, Dom. And I think Ankalaev may be the more likely candidate of the group because of Yuri's injury. And, you know, the feeling was that that draw, if you didn't agree with it, Ankalaev was kind of the winner instead of Jan. So that's potentially your next matchup. And Dominic, I think that's a very tough matchup for Jamal Hill. And that just leads to more intrigue and interest for a guy like me. When you have a champion who doesn't feel invincible, he already yeah. feels not necessarily vulnerable, but he doesn't. he's not perfect. I still think the takedown defense, even though he was able to look great here, a guy like Ankalaev can match Jamal Hill in some of those athletic aspects, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. He is just very well-rounded. He's not, you know, Glover in his 40s, as great as he, as he has been being the champion at that age and whatnot. That's a different skill set. And Ankalaev, I think, is the faster guy, not compared to Jamal Hill, compared to Glover. He's a lot faster, more athletic. Um, I don't know about stronger, but... It just he matches Jamal Hill in more of that youthful vigor right now. So I do think that there is a good chance that that fight happens, man. That is a very close fight. Dare I say, Ankalaev might be as much as a minus 150 favorite for that fight. So for Jamal Hill, as great as a moment as this was, you know he's got to be feeling the way we know his mind to be. He's got to be thinking, I got to get back in the gym on Monday because there is a storm coming with the likes of Jan. Like I said, all these guys, Ankalaev, Rakic, Prohaska, 
All those guys are killers. And uh, if he really wants to have a sustainable reign, he may have to take out every single one of them. Yeah, yeah. This I'll say, with Jamal being the champ now, man, it just feels like, you know, light heavyweight, they've been kind of passing the belt around a little bit, obviously, since John left. I understand that. But now it really does feel like the younger guys are starting to kind of come in now for this division with Jamal, with Ankalaev, you know, Glover obviously retired here. Yuri's still in that echelon of the younger guys. So now, outside of those, you do still have, like, the veterans in Jan Blachowicz and Anthony Smith, which I think is going to be the next matchup. I think those two will probably fight each other uh, for some sort of implications in that top three there next. So, yeah, it just feels good right now, and we'll see what happens with the back half. Johnny Walker got a win last night, which we'll talk about. It's just interesting. I think it's good to just have some freshness in this division because even though we had it after John left, it's been freshness in the sense of like the same people. And now we're kind of hitting the next evolution of the division. So I'm excited to see where this 2023 will play out mm. for 205. A dark horse to potentially put his name in the title uh, picture, by the way, Dom, because he's in a main event here soon. Ryan Spann, by the way. Uh, that would be very interesting if a guy like Ryan Spann, who has recommitted yeah. himself, has even put more of himself into the fight game. Um, he is a guy that's got a lot of power, a lot of athleticism, big old guy for light heavyweight, uh, carries mm -hmm. big power. I think that would be another guy that you could potentially see by the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I totally forgot about Ryan Spann. He very much fits that mold that I was just kind of describing. I'm excited, man. It could be a big year for this division. Let's clear up some number one contenders. Let's clear up some obvious matchmaking that makes sense to progress the division. 2023 should treat the 205 as well. So now we'll move into the co-main event. Flyweight title. The saga has come to an end, Dom. For the fourth time, we saw Figgy versus Moreno. This was probably the fight that the most hardcore fans were excited to see uh, on the card. These, three, these two guys have delivered every timeout, three previous, and here we come for the fourth fight. The one to settle the score, it was 1-1-1 one, one, one going in. And damn it, we were really hoping we wouldn't get a draw this time. And we didn't. Brandon Moreno made sure of that, Dom. Because this was a very high-level fight, much like how the third one felt. You know, each fight has had a different feeling to it in a lot of ways. The first fight mm -hmm. felt like those two guys coming off of just a one-month turnaround back in 20 at the end of 2020 put on just an absolute war barn burner fight of the year type go that went to a draw they rematched that summer moreno puts up one of the best performances of the year a complete master class then davison comes back for the third go round to begin 2022 and he gets the belt back after a very high-level five-round fight. And then here, the fourth one, Dom. Probably the weakest of the four, but that's not that's not a slight on this fight just because I think the other three have just been so memorable and so great. With this fight, it was competitive. It was very high-level, like I said. I think it was pretty clearly like 1-1 going into that third round. And then Moreno landed a perfect shot, knuckle to the eye of Davis and Figueredo. 
And that was pretty much all she wrote, Dom. I mean, the rest of the round, you know, Marina was on top. But you could tell that eye from the right eye of Davison was just absolutely fucked. After the bell, they go to their corners. You could tell Davison can't even open that eye. So then the doctor calls it. That's it. TKO stoppage at the, you know, end of round three, essentially. So Moreno gets the belt back, Dom, and he does it on on uh, enemy soil, however you want to word it, in Brazil. He is now the flyweight champion. It feels like the end of an era because Davison announced afterwards, Dom, he's moving to Bantamweight. So we can talk about that too, but for now, the assassin baby is now back at the top of the flyweight division, looking ahead to potentially some guys who have yet to get that opportunity. A guy like the backup for this fight, Alexandre Pantoja, perhaps, could be next for this title. So now you're going to start seeing some guys who we haven't really been thinking too much about in this title mix because these two have been kind of hogging the spotlight for the last three years. And you get Brandon Moreno, a very likable champion, a young enough guy to where he could go on a run here. What's the excitement level for you, Dom? I know you're a big Assassin Baby fan, so let me know how you're feeling. Yeah, man. Um, what an end to that saga, to that rivalry. Four fights, the first time ever in UFC history. It really was a storybook, man. Those two were just born to fight each other, and they treated us to a show every time. They put the flyweight division on the map when it really needed it, and uh, it was just awesome. So it's good to see that chapter come to a close. It opens that title picture for people that have not had an opportunity at all, like Noah mentioned, which I think is awesome, um, especially Pantoja, right? We've been waiting on it, and it looks like he's going to get that chance. Him and Brandon met backstage, had some laughs, had some hugs, and uh, I think that's a super exciting fight. Pantoja seems to be coming into his all right now. Moreno, uh, obviously the champion. Those two, I believe, fought before Noah and Pantoja won, if I'm not mistaken. or Mar I can't remember the exact situation, but I think they have fought before. I can be fact-checked there, of course. But uh, that's exciting. And then you look outside of that at these other contenders that can now throw their hat in the mix for a title shot. Much like we were just saying for light heavyweight and how it's kind of opened the doors for more people to let's start pushing into the title picture. The same can be said here for flyweight, man. Once ruled by a dominant champion, now the title's been kind of held up by two men for the past two and a half years, and now it opens up here. And no better man to kind of lead that charge as the champion uh, as Brandon Moreno. He has the whole country of Mexico behind him. The UFC seems to love him as a potential star to continue <clears throat> building him into a star, I should say. It's exciting. He's an exciting, very likable guy. Uh, and I'm just glad to see our flyweights getting some respect, getting some shine. Let's have some fun fights in 2023. Uh, yeah, what do you think about Pantoja and Moreno, by the way? Because that's probably what will be that first defense for Brandon. I think it's a perfect first defense for Moreno yeah. because you are right, Dom. They did fight before. Pantoja got the unanimous decision win. That was on the... Damian Maya versus Kamaru Usman card, May 2018 fight night in Chile. Chile. Wow. So uh, okay. that's a little trip down memory lane. I actually think, didn't I'm pretty sure Moreno got cut at some point after that fight because that was during that weird time when the UFC were contemplating 
removing their men's flyweight mm-hmm. division. And now look at us. Here we are in 2023, mm-hmm. and the division feels like it's one of the strongest it's ever been. So shout out to those guys. You know, Davis and Figueredo, Brandon Moreno, these guys deserve so much credit for, yes, Henry Cejudo as well. You can put him in there. Those three guys, in their own ways, feel like they have injected a lot of life into this division. Yep. And now that Davison's announced he's going to Bantamweight, it's on Brandon Moreno's shoulders to now sort of carry this into the new wave. You know, the guy like Pantoja, who when these two fight again, if, assuming that's the next title fight, you know, Dom, as much as we love this fight and think it's the right fight, admittedly, Pantoja is going to be one of the more unknown title challengers of recent mm-hmm. memory. Unfortunately, yep. he's not been given the kind of opportunities and the kind of spotlight that a guy of his talent and caliber should. As far as this division's come, it still has a long way to go. We're still at a point where top 10 matchups are deep on the prelims. So it's it's definitely in a good spot, but we got to keep, keep trying to build that momentum. And Moreno's kind of the perfect face to potentially keep pushing that division forward. And then you got fighters around him like Pantoja, like Alex Perez or Brandon Roy Val or Kai Carr of France, guys like Manel Kopp on the way up. You know, these are guys that I think uh, even I'm going to give a shout out to like Matt Schnell and Sue Maderji who had an amazing fight last year. Those kind of guys, those kind of fights are what's going to really get this division to a, a point where it is of equal level, equal footing to some of the biggest divisions in the company. And another underrated part about this night, Dom, is that the pieces are in place for 2023 to be the biggest year in Mexican MMA history. Mm-hmm. Now follow me here. It, the mm-hmm. pieces are in place because mm-hmm. next month, Yair Rodriguez will be competing against Josh Emmett for the interim featherweight title. Mm-hmm. Then... March 4th, UFC 285, Valentina Shevchenko will be defending her women's flyweight title against Alexa Grasso. Mm -hmm. And don't know if, assuming this fight happens, it was sort of announced, but now it's not confirmed yet. Uh, It looks like Amanda Nunes' next title defense for her Bantamweight title will be against Irene Aldana. So that's four title fights right now where a Hispanic MMA fighter is challenging for a title. So Dominic, Mm -hmm. we could potentially by summer have four undisputed slash interim Hispanic champions in the UFC. Now, obviously an uphill battle when you're talking about Amanda Nunes, Valentina Shevchenko, but I think the pieces are in place and now it's just on these fighters to execute and get the job done. And this could be just a massive year for MMA in Mexico and pushing next. So we know Mexico, even though yes, there is a lot of love for MMA there. It is a boxing country. Boxing has had a stronghold on Mexico for such a long time. Guys like Julio Cesar Chavez, you know, these guys have become literal monuments, bigger gods in, in Mexico. So now guys like Moreno and Yair 
and and Alexa Grasso and Irina Aldana, they have the opportunity to to put their stamp and being sort of pioneers in this market and make it the biggest year yet for that country. So what a time it could be. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch it unfold. And for all we know, Dom, four new Hispanic champions by the summer. It'd be unprecedented. Oh, dude, Noah, you absolutely hit that on the head. Incredible to bring that up, and I'm so glad you did because how long has the UFC been pinpointing Mexico and Latin America as an area that they want to just hit hard and build potential, mm-hmm. build the sport, build athletes down there. And look, four opportunities potentially to get champions in the same calendar year. And imagine, Noah, that they do it. No country has ever done that before in MMA, right? I, I, I don't even think like the United States would have four new champions from the country in the same calendar, 365 days. Like, that would be absolutely unprecedented, historical, just and and when you look at some of the upsets that could happen to make that possible, dude, absolute explosion for Mexican MMA for the sport to just evolve down there and for you know again like look at how Raul Rosas Jr. from Mexico, 18, 19 years old, those there are kids down there following in his footsteps. The sport mm-hmm. down there is so bright for the future, and it's spearheaded by these four people that you just mentioned. I got goosebumps even thinking about it. Yeah, so I'm very much on the lookout for that. And that's a good way to transition, Dom, into our fight announcements portion of the show. So uh, we'll, I'll just go through the list here. But that first fight is Valentina Shevchenko versus Alexi Grasso, March 4th, UFC 285. We will wait to talk about Aldana Nunez when it's officially announced. Uh, I had actually had it on our sheet to talk about, but Dom being the smart guy to to double check my work went and saw that that was not actually official yet according to Aldana and UFC 285 will likely not be the place that fight takes place which I'm a little disappointed in I was hoping for three title fights on that card that would have been massive you got surreal gone John Jones at the top you know that would have been huge mm-hmm. maybe it still happens then but if not we will we'll talk about it once that date's announced Peter Jan versus Marav Dwalishwili, March 11th. Edson Barboza versus Billy Q, April 15th. And mm-hmm. Song Yadong versus Ricky Simone, April 22nd. So a couple of these really got a stronghold on Dom because Dom is a, he has been a big backer for a couple of these folks. So Dom, four pretty big fights here announced. You know, where does your mind go when you when you hear these names being rattled off? You know, which fights are sticking out to you the most here? I, I, I'm going to have to do an honorable mention, even though there's four. But number one, no, you know, I'm picking Song Yadon and my man War, Ricky, Ricky Simone, April 22nd, just a week after my birthday. That's exciting stuff. That is an awesome matchup. What is it, number eight versus number ten? Song Yudong had his chance to get a big win. He comes up short against mm. Corey Sanhagen, but it's no slouch there. Slouch there. Ricky Simone got to number ten. Now he can catapult into if he gets a win here. The stylistic clash in that is so awesome because Ricky's known for his grappling, but he's looking pretty good with his hands lately. Song Yudong very well rounded, a Swiss Army knife. 
that's an incredible fight. I love that fight. Dare I say no, I wish it was a main event. I don't think it is, but that could be one that I get behind here on this show. Shevchenko Grasso, I have to at least bring up because, oh, I, I you'll, you'll give your thoughts there. I saw your little smirk. Um, Grasso Shevchenko, a bit surprised that Alexa got it. Uh, obviously, we know Taylor's fighting Aaron Blanchfield. I, I don't really know why they went away from that rematch. It was such a close fight between Valentina and uh, Santos. But, you know, it is what it is. I still love her and Blanchfield matchup. Alexa Grasso, big time behind the eight ball. But everybody is going into a Valentina Shevchenko fight. So I am intrigued. Like, is it too much too soon? Should she have gotten one more fight? I, I don't know, but I'm excited and happy for her to get this opportunity. And we'll kind of see what she can do with it, Noah. Yeah. Uh, Song Yadong, Ricky Simone, I demand to be a main event. This is literally the kind of fights we talk about, Dom, where two guys that need to prove it and are so have been on such great runs. I know Yadong's coming off a loss, but what a great effort he put in in his first main event against Corey Sanhagen. I demand this fight be a main event. These are two guys that need that shine. They need that five-round luster. They need to prove that they can go for 25 minutes. These are two guys that are, you know, future building blocks of this division, potentially, and could be in your title mix. How are you going to give them a title shot if you don't know if they can go for 25 minutes? Say, some people are meant to be bridesmaids and some people are meant to be brides. You might be able to go 15, but can you kick it into a second gear for that final 10 minutes? We've seen what Yadong and Simone are capable of in 15 minutes. Give them the 25, damn it. Valentina Shevchenko, Alexa Grasso. I was pretty surprised that this was announced. I don't know why, because it, it, it did feel like it was sort of time for Valentina to fight again. Yeah. And you just saw Taylor Santos and Aaron Blanchfield get matched up. But Dominic, the more I thought about it, the reason I'm surprised is because I really thought there was a good chance if those two didn't get the shot, we'd be talking about Manon Fior as being the next title challenger for Valentina Shevchenko. However, you have to wonder if she just wasn't ready, maybe injured or whatnot. So in comes Alexa Grasso. And I do worry that this might be a bit too much too soon. I know what all I just said about the this could be a monumental year for Hispanic MMA. Alexa Grasso has looked really good as of late. Well, really, since she moved to the women's flyweight yeah. division, she's just been really on a roll. But what I worry about is I feel like she was the fourth on the pecking order in terms of title challengers. Taylor Santos... Manon Fior, Aaron Blanchfield, then Alexa Grasso. And you kind of would want to see Alexa fight one of those three above her before catapulting her into this spot. Or, dare I say, she have to get through someone like Jessica Andrade, who just had a big night last night, or someone like that. Because let's mm -hmm. not forget, Jessica Andrade, Dom... Might be the second best fighter in two different weight classes. So I think that, you know, she deserves some name recognition in this mix as well, even though she, of course, has already had her shot at the title. This is what we're talking about. We have been trying to tell everybody 
who would listen that the women's flyweight division is quietly becoming the strongest women's division in the UFC. Yeah. And here we are. Because even though it's a little bit of a surprise that Alexa Grasso is getting the shot, I don't hate it, Dom. I don't hate it. She went into a main event, even if it was kind of, I think there was a fight that got canceled or it it didn't feel like a very, a fight that should have been a main event. She was going up against Viviani Ariujo, but then she wins that, looks good doing it. She proved she could go the full 25 and here you go. This is what I'm talking about. Now you catapult her into that title fight spot. Now, Valentina Shevchenko is a savage. So it is going to take a lot. Probably more than I've yet to see from Alexa Grasso to get it done. But there is a question here. There is a bit of an element of... Was Taylor Santos' performance against Valentina as good as she looked in that fight as competitive as that fight was, was that all because Taylor Santos or was some of it perhaps, Dom, is Valentina slowing down a little bit? Is mm-hmm. going to 125, you know, the is, is she perhaps losing a step? I'm not saying I believe that. I'm just saying that it happens to everybody and it always happens with these dominant champions when you least expect it. Nobody believes Kamaru Usman's going to get knocked out with a head kick by Leon Edwards. Nobody believes that Anderson Silva's going to play with his food and get knocked out by Chris Weidman. But then it happens. Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey, another one. Sorry, Dom. I'm sorry. Uh, Jose Aldo with Conor McGregor. You know, these these big, long-standing champions who feel like they would never lose they all end up losing. Amanda Nunes, Juliana Pena. I know she got the belt back, but that's another example. On any given night, you could have an off night or you could start to slow down. And some of these challengers, they just keep coming. They, they, you get older as a champion, the new challengers keep coming in and they're younger, they're faster, they're better. I mean, there is so much uh, competition in this sport and it's just a revolving door. Next woman up. So Alexa Grasso's here. She's got a whole country on her back. And uh, it could lead to some fireworks. I am very excited for that fight. Special shout out to Peter Jan, Marab, Dwalish Wheelie as well. I know we've just spent a lot of time talking about two fights. But I will just say for that Peter Jan, Marab fight. Peter Jan, I still stand by as maybe the most talented fighter in the UFC pound for pound. I know that take doesn't sound as good now as it did when I was saying it a year and a half ago or whatever. But there's a case, Dom, that despite my belief in Peter Jan's capabilities and his talent, he may lose his, what, uh, third of his last four fight here against Marab because this is a dangerous matchup for a guy in Peter Yan, who not only is Marab a teammate of Aljamain Sterling, who just beat Peter Yan for the title not too long ago, but also Marab is perhaps an even better wrestler. And while it doesn't have near the length of an Aljamain Sterling, it would be interesting because Peter Yan seemed to struggle a bit with the takedowns of Sterling. If Marab would be able to take him down, we could potentially be looking at a guy in Peter Jan who feels like a championship-level talent 
drop three of four. Uh, it would definitely be a surprise, but it's very much a realistic possibility right now. Yeah, and that's a good point to bring up. This one also is a main event, 25 minutes. I know it's Marab's first time in that slot. Noah brings up a good point due to Marab potentially being a better all-around wrestler, grappler than Aljamain. Then you add in the whole dynamic that they are best friends. They are teammates. Marab has the blueprint from Aljamain Sterling, who's been in there for numerous rounds with Pewter Jan. Like, honestly, in this fight, these, the cards are stacked against Pewter Jan. As amazing as he is, as elite as he is as a talent, it's probably hard to pick Jan in this fight. And I really wonder what the opening odds will be for this matchup. I'm really curious. It should be a really good one. Uh, obviously, a test for Jan to prove he can still hold down his spot in line. And for Marab, if he wins here, he does put himself right there for title contention. And I know it's a little hard because he's not going to go fight Aljo. But, you know, here you are. If you win, you're there. So we'll see what he does with the future depending on the outcome of that fight. But very interesting one, no doubt. Agreed. We will move on to the rest of UFC 283, Dom, if you don't mind. Starting with a, not a fight, but an inductee into the 2023 Hall of Fame class for the UFC. The first announcement for the year for that regard. It was in Brazil, so it made sense. The king of Rio, Jose Aldo, was in attendance, and he was announced um, as an inductee for the 2023 UFC Hall of Fame class. Of course, Aldo just retired last year. Um it makes sense, makes perfect sense. Jose Aldo, all-timer, maybe the best featherweight in UFC history. What more can you say? Dom, any words you'd like to give for the King of Rio? Just incredible. Hats off to him for an incredible career. One of the pioneers for the lighter, the little guys, quote-unquote, right? Those lower weight classes. He was there from the beginning mm-hmm. uh, in the WEC days and being a long-standing champion there and then comes over and has a long-standing reign in the UFC, drops down to Bantamweight and challenges for a title in a second-weight class later on in his career. I mean, it was just historic, really, the run that he had done in two different organizations. And to announce that in Brazil, you just saw the emotion, right? He was just broke down, and you, you saw how much he's given to this sport. And now that he's going to be enshrined and remembered forever in a Hall of Fame where everybody can always know the legacy that he leaves behind. It was just a really cool moment. And for him to have that in his home country, I think, was just perfect to see. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Your uh, your third fight on the main card, Dom, saw Gilbert Burns get the first round submission on Neil Magny, four minutes, for 15 seconds in. Dominic, this is basically what I thought was going to happen. Um I'm not sure. I mean, I, you, you kind of hope Neil Magny could maybe put up a little bit better of a fight in terms of lasting a little longer. But um, Gilbert Burns is just so good. I think he's in some ways underrated. And I still just think, even as Neil Magny, he'll he'll give a performance here and there that proves me wrong, like the way he looked against Daniel Rodriguez. I still see some signs that the guy as as man as he is to step up and take these challenges as great of a fighter as he is still capable of being i think he's lost a step just a bit 
So I think that this was sort of an inevitable outcome. I know we really tried to set it up on the preview, just trying to kind of, you know, we're telling the story. Neil Magny never able to overcome that hump. I think this was his last chance, unfortunately. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think you're probably right there. Um, I'm glad he got the opportunity. Um, he took it. He tried. I'll tell you, while I expected Gilbert to win, I still didn't necessarily just – I had a hard time envisioning what was going to happen in terms of the outcome. But then as the fight kind of happened and Gilbert just kind of imposed his will, man, he's just so physically strong. And on the ground, he really is so good. Like, the past few years, you haven't really got to see Gilbert – use his jiu-jitsu all that much because he likes to strike and he's not afraid to strike he'll get knockouts or like he got finished by kamaru but man when he's down there he is as legit as they come so it was a big win for him he gets back in the win column he hadn't fought since the fight against hamzat last year so he had a long layoff he's kind of in lingo um it's like it's good he got a win but i don't know where this puts him they're saying Hamzat's going to go to 185 right now. He called out Colby Covington. If Hamzat's going to 185, sign me up all day for Gilbert Burns and Colby Covington. I'll tell you that much right now. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, he's continuing to be a little bit overlooked. That's why he's in lingo, to be honest. We're not saying Colby Covington's in lingo or Hamzat's in lingo, even though those two guys are on the same sort of calendar as Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns is just being a bit overlooked, and I don't really understand why. I get it. Kamaru had a great comeback and kind of dominated the the later portions of his fight with Gilbert Burns. But I just don't, like, Gilbert, I mean, landed a really heavy shot on Kamaru, had him on skates mm -hmm. for that first round, took that first round, and... Now everybody's acting like he's not even in the mix. And I just completely disagree with that. I want to add on, Dom. Yes, you're right, and that's a good observation. We've not really seen Gilbert use his jiu-jitsu all that much. Yes, he had a lot of takedown success against Wonderboy Thompson, but not a ton of threatening submissions the whole time. Mm -hmm. But, Dom, he may have, outside of like an Ortega or... Whoever, you know, he may have the best jiu-jitsu in the entire company. Mm, like, yeah. his jiu-jitsu is world-class. That's what got him to the dance. Early on in his career, his striking was a very raw and, you know, just chaotic in some ways. It still has a little bit of that. But now he carries a lot more power. That's a real threatening combination you got there. You got heavy hands, but also, let's say you knock someone down... You are even more deadly if this fight's sprawling on the mat and you're trying to get a takedown because he can lock on a submission anywhere and anywhere, and he has done that time and time again. So uh, Gilbert Burns, much respect to him. I think he is a live. If, if the UFC would just get, you know res really show him the respect that I think he deserves and in, in where he stands... I think he could be a real live dog in this uh, in this division, especially with Kamaru's status up in the air. You know, guys yeah. like like I think he would win against Leon Edwards. I don't know if that's uh, blasphemous, but I think his advantages on the ground, as long as he didn't allow Leon to piece him up for the entirety of the fight, had a smart game plan, attacked where he was strongest. I think he wins that fight. So that that's got to tell you something.
Oh, yeah. But we'll move on to the the next fight. Jessica Andrade, like I said, the second best fighter in each weight class <laughs> that she is a part of. Yeah. So that might be a hot take, but I'm standing by it. She absolutely dominates Lauren Murphy for three rounds. Uh, this was rough. <laughs> this was, you know, yeah. respect to Lauren Murphy. And I know this one probably hurt Dom a little bit because he had Andrade by finish. And, man, I mean, Lauren Murphy is uh, – there was so many displays of just toughness on this night. Like, there was a lot of ass beatings and people were just fucking eating them fucking shots like they were nothing. And Lauren Murphy was one of them, man. You know, I've had my takes on Lauren Murphy on this show. Uh, but no doubt she deserves respect here, even though when it came to the actual – once you digest the actual fight, you recognize Laura Murphy was ranked ahead of Andrade going in here. Not sure how that happened. Uh, but I think this showed that Andrade is on another stratosphere in terms of talent, in terms of fighting capabilities than Lauren Murphy is. You agree, Dom? Yeah, Jessica Andrade is literally Noah to to back further back up your point of being potentially the second best fighter in two divisions. She's ranked fourth at strawweight, and come Tuesday morning, she's going to be a minimum fourth at flyweight. I mean, that is just, she is just a bull in a china shop, man. But at the same time, she is still relatively clean in terms of like, yes, yeah, she's been finished here and there, but she doesn't necessarily just fight stupid or dumb and you know bum rush people she fought smart last night she tried to put lauren murphy away to murphy's credit just as tough as they come jessica Andrade, i know they asked her in the post fight interview i don't remember maybe you will maybe you won't if not that's okay but i know dc's mentioned is your next fight at strawweight and i we i was with my buddies we were kind of talking i don't know what she necessarily said but it's clear that she has no problem making the weight at 115 she obviously doesn't have a problem making 125. She could fight a number one contender fight in strawweight next if she wins or loses, and then if at flyweight, do another number one contender fight. She's in a spot that you don't see many, hardly ever do you see a fighter in a spot that she's in right now. Well, let me put it like this, Dom. I think her next fight should be at strawweight because I think she has a rightful claim to a title fight against Zhang Weili. I do. I don't I she has def, she beat your uh put your named your crowned number 1 contender Amanda Lemos. So mm-hmm. she deserves a title fight over Amanda Lemos. And if that's not the fight though Dom, I'm going to put a little dream matchmaking out there because there's a fight I've been wanting for so long. It's time to do it. If you're not going to give her a title fight, which I don't expect her to. Main event, five rounds, not in the apex. Put it in a damn city. Put it in Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland, maybe. Jessica Andrade versus Rose Namajunas, part trace, the trilogy to end it all. Those previous two fights have been awesome Rose Namajunas having a great performance against Andrade in her first one. Andrade slams her on her head. Brutal knockout. Just scary stuff from Andrade. 
The second fight on Fight Island, Abu Dhabi. A no, once again, first two rounds, Rose just getting the better, just looking even crisper than ever before, outclassing Andrade. Round three, though, Andrade batters her, nearly gets that fight in her favor, and Rose takes a, a decision there. So we need a third fight. I need to see it. Yes. I understand Rose, you know, uh, coming off that last fight, it's a little bit unclear, I guess, where she stands. And she's never been the most active fighter. But now's the time. Give me it. Five rounds. In Ohio. Damn it. (laughs) Hell yeah, I agree. That should be next. (laughs) Uh, Next one here, Johnny Walker gets back on track. TKO's Paul Craig. It's, It's me. It's my... It's macabre. You are sporting the traditional Scottish kilt. What is under? Yes, please. You want to see? It's my, it's my, it's my. Your kibbles and bits? It's my, it's my cock. No. Uh, In round one, two minutes, 16 seconds. Um, Do not type it, Dom. Don't type it. Don't type it. He's typing it, guys. He's typing it. (laughs) He's typing it. He's going to type it. Um, Round one TKO over Paul Craig. Um, so for Johnny Walker, Dom, let's just put it like this. The worm is back. The worm is back. And Johnny Walker did not, he did not injure himself, uh, in doing so. So what a successful night for him. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny Walker, two wins in a row now, two finishes in a row. I posed the question on Twitter and I, I, I myself don't believe it, but I was just curious. Like, could we ever see him reach that? Like, hype or potential that people once thought he had again Noah, or is it has that mm. time just come and gone have we seen that ceiling from johnny walker he's gonna be number nine probably come tuesday switch the spots with paul craig so he'll be top 10 the top is kind of full right now in terms of matchmaking maybe he f- he's already fought ryan span what if he fights? Uh, what if he welcomes back Alexander Rakic from his uh, knee injury? What would you what would you, what would you think about that fight next? I wouldn't be against them making it, but I think that's a pretty rough fight for Johnny Walker. And to answer your question, uh, that that ship has sailed. Johnny Walker is a fun fighter. He is a, mm-hmm. a good fighter. He will never be a great fighter. That mm-hmm. is the harsh reality of the situation for him. 
Alexander Rakic is a great fighter. And it may not be the most exciting fight, or maybe it would be. I don't know. And maybe you could catch Rakic at a vulnerable point. Post-knee injury, very serious knee injury, long layoff. Maybe Johnny Walker, an electric guy for sure, a guy who is very big and great power. Maybe you do catch him. But I don't think there's even a remote chance that this guy and Johnny Walker is ever in the mix for a title fight, is in a title fight, and definitely will never be a champion. And when you're talking about the potential that people saw for him, they thought this guy could be the one that could beat John Jones at light heavyweight. So the kind of potential we're talking about is a champion-level potential, and I just think that ship has sailed. He's fun, he's exciting, but he's just far too limited to to get it done. Fair, fair. Eeyore Pateria, Dom, gets a TKO win over Shogun Hua, round one, four minutes, five seconds in. The bigger story being Shogun Hua announced his retirement in the aftermath. Before we give uh, him his shine, let me just ask you, what do you think of Eeyore's uh, post-fight celebration? I saw a lot of back and forth on this. Um, you may have heard the his little post. He did have an interview like in the back afterwards and explained it a little more, but I'm curious what you thought when it happened. Yeah, I saw a lot of people bashing him and stuff, and... To a certain extent, I like I kind of agree. Like, man, you just put out a legend. It was his retirement fight in Brazil. But, I, I, dude, I just feel like the guy got his first UFC win. It was a knockout. It, he, I, I think he was just caught up in the moment. He didn't – I don't think he meant any ill will by it. The guy was just trying to celebrate a win. It just so happened to come against a man that was retiring and is also a legend of mixed martial arts. So it didn't look very good. But, man, I don't hold anything yeah. against him. Um, he's just a young guy. Got his debut, or not his debut, but his first one in the UFC. That's all I look at it as. Yeah, I in the moment, I said, come on, dude, read the room. Like, yeah. read the room. This is going to be a yeah. somber, sad moment. This was not about you. This was about Shogun. But I did not realize that there is context to this. So uh, when he was back uh, being interviewed after the fight, uh, he explained – what the celebration means, I guess, or uh, more meaning behind it. So Eeyore Pateria, since this was his first one in the UFC, we had not really become accustomed to it. But he is uh, his nickname is The Duelist, uh, Dom. So apparently that little thing he did there, that little jiggy, uh, is his post-fight celebration whenever he gets a finish. The only difference for this one was instead of when he aims the gun you know, the handgun Mm -hmm. at his opponent. Typically he pulls the trigger, but instead he said he finger wagged as a no and shot at the air. So that was meant to be a sign, a showing of respect to Shogun. Um, Obviously in the moment it looked a little, uh, hmm, maybe read the room a little bit, but turns out there was some context to it. You could tell afterwards they were kind of hugging and talking and I'm sure sharing some, you know, pleasant trees back and forth so uh all's good but i was just curious because there was a lot of uh yeah. communication about it but for shogun who uh this is a sad one it's definitely a sad one i said on friday you know how could he be such a massive underdog against poteria who had yet to win in the ufc was zero and one had never really fought anywhere that was super high level he wasn't like some big prospect coming in mm-hmm 
you know, and yet he was a big underdog. And, you know, Dom, I thought Shogun Hua was putting together a pretty good round one. I thought he was looking okay. Like, he did, he definitely didn't look like Shogun in the sense of who he used to be. But I thought he was winning the round. Like, I thought he was getting the better of most of the exchanges. But then as soon as he got hurt, he just had nothing. And it, it just got kind of sad. And I was just sad kind of watching him go out like that. But his legacy will live on. Um, he will obviously be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame, I imagine, at some point. And that's pretty remarkable for this guy because he is a legend in the UFC. And yet, Dom, he was a better fighter before he came into the UFC. Oh. And that says a lot when this was a guy who was a UFC light heavyweight champion. But Dominic, his record as he leaves the sport now is like 500 in the UFC. I think he's like mm -hmm. 11 and 11. And um, that's just, I think that speaks to the level of competition this guy had been fighting his entire time here. When he was brought over, a lot of people don't remember Dom. He was looked at as a disappointment for his first couple years in the UFC. He was one of those guys signed by Pride, and he came in, and he kind of looked like shit for like his first two years. He was given the matchup with Forrest Griffin as his first fight. This is Forrest before winning the title but after the ultimate fighter he was a very popular fighter but nobody thought he had the kind of ceiling that he would prove to have he was shogun was expected to come in and dominate forrest forrest ends up winning the fucking fight then they give shogun an old you know kind of uh skinnier mark coleman who's like 40 and obviously shogun's a beast right at this point and then they have like a war that Shogun Hua barely wins. So everybody was like, whoa, this guy, he he was a huge disappointment. And after everybody was saying that, everybody was saying what a mistake it was to bring this guy in. A year later, he was UFC champion, Dom. And he should have been champion even sooner than that because he got robbed in the first mm -hmm. fight with Lyoto Machida. Uh, he, of course, would vindicate that the second time around. Did not let it go to the judges' scorecards. Um, great career. And, you know, for him to write off after it looked kind of bleak in his first couple fights in the UFC, for him to last this long, UFC 283, pretty remarkable. So my hat's off to Shogun Hua. Yep, a copy and paste for me. Did him justice there, my friend. Next one, Dom, RoboCop goes down. Oh, Bruno Fajera with the KO of Gregory Rodriguez. Four minutes, 13 seconds of round number one. This was probably my biggest shock of the card. I understood Bruno Fajera was undefeated. Call it a lack of uh, maybe I'm just a casual. <laughs> I don't know. I was not believing that. You could have told me Bruno Fajero was a great prospect. I was like, okay, but Gregory Rodriguez has a fucking... I mean, that dude is just... Does it. Like, he can't lose. Like, you you keep trying... He'll be hurt. You'll, it's like the that, that uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The knight who's, like, getting his fucking, uh, like, legs cut off and his arms cut off. And he's like, yeah, tis but a flesh wound. That's Gregory Rodriguez. Like... You could, like, take off every part of his body and he'd be, like, 
so we going to go or what? And he'd probably knock <laughs> your ass out, even with no arms or legs. So, um, unfortunately, Dom, though, as good of a punch as he's proven to take in the past and shown he can go zombie mode and come back and knock out people like he did against Jun Young Park, he got knocked out cold. One shot. Done. I was shocked. Absolutely shocked. This was the moment of the night where I was like, wow. Just floored me. And Bruno Fajara stock, Dom, through the roof. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Gregory Rodriguez was a minus 300 plus uh, going into this fight. And I think it was just because of, like, obviously his experience, right? Bruno was debuting. We didn't quite know. I mean, yeah, like Noah said, he was undefeated. But this is RoboCop. This is a different level. Now Bruno Ferreira knocks out Greg Rodriguez in the first round, and he's undefeated, 10-0, and all 10 wins are by finish. Seven of them are knockouts. Uh, yeah, the stock on this guy is pretty high right now. This added some excitement to the division, and, uh, I mean, dude, it's just it's another young Brazilian talent here, uh, part of their next wave of uh, generation here. Should be fun. It was a shocker. Absolutely a shocker. Ruined a parlay, dare mm-hmm. I say, as well. Uh, next one, the guy that I'm most excited to see where his career goes in 2023, Jailton Almeida, showed to be every bit of that guy with his first or second round, excuse me, TKO victory over Shamil Abdurrahimov, two minutes, 56 seconds into that round. This guy is a specimen. I mean, can we talk? I mean, that's slam. That slam deserves to get the posterizer award for the Joeys, even though it does not fit the the actual definition of the award category. I I am so blown away by everything I keep seeing out of Jailton Almeida, and I'm going to call my shot. I'm going to do it, Dom. It is not a matter of if. It is a matter of when he will be UFC heavyweight champion. It's coming, people. I don't care who you put in front of him. I will pick. I think he is riding a wave. It will not be stopped by anybody in this division. But I will admit that there are some really good guys in the heavyweight division, so that could be tough. But I'm calling my shot. I'm calling him. He's a future champion. No, I love it, Noah, and I'm going to agree with you, and I'm not even going to specify a division because this man could do it at heavyweight, and he may just do it at light heavyweight. The guy is a special breed, a special, special specimen, an athlete. Everything that he does, man, he just does it with cruel intentions. He's 18 wins now, 18 finishes. He hasn't lost since, I don't know, before I could grow armpit hair. Like, it's been a long time since Jelton Almeida has lost. He's a freak, and he's a danger. He could, I mean, I'm looking at the top 15 just for heavyweight specifically right now. He likely takes out everybody from 15 to 10. Alexander Romanov may be the hardest test, and I think he even beats Romanov, Noah. Then you look at light heavyweight. He could beat anybody from 15 to 9 in that division right now. I mean, he is an animal. I don't know what they want to do with him. Are they going to force him to pick a division here? Is he going to have to go one way or another? Is he going to go back and forth? Is it just going to depend, Noah, on who says yes? to a fight with this man it's a good point hasn't he been has his last couple fights been at heavyweight i thought he was a little more committed to heavyweight than like andrage was to a division i don't know i know he used to fight at light heavyweight but has he fought there recently 
I think his latter two have been at heavyweight for sure. And then if you go three back, okay. I, that's where it might have been light heavyweight. Yeah. Yeah. It's a small sample size. So, I mean, he inevitably yeah. could go back to light heavyweight in his next fight. But I, I, in my mind, I'm looking at him as being committed to the heavyweight division. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's I feel like he looks so good there that like I just want him to keep and like his athleticism and speed and power mixture is just Dude. the UFC hardly ever gets these level of athletes in like a heavyweight division because mm-hmm. you always hear what people say like if a guy's that good of an athlete they're gonna go play a sport where they can make like big money you know basketball mm-hmm. football whatever but this is a guy who has like this crazy type of athleticism a pro athlete level in any sport and he's fucking just unreal he's in the heavyweight division in the ufc i I, i'm so excited for this guy can't the idea of him down the road fighting like a surreal gone or a curtis blades or tom aspinall like those those are what get me up in the morning dom and tell me that it's (laughs) worth it hell yeah dude it's gonna be this guy's a problem yeah our next fight early contender for the posterizer now that we're talking about legit uh nominees ismael bonfim with the flying knee knockout of our guy terrence mckinney two minutes 17 seconds of round number two wow um I knew when I saw these odds this week, I knew that something was up. Something smelled rotten in the cotton, as my mom likes to say. And, um, yep, those Bonfim brothers, <laughs> buy your stock now. <laughs> Bonfim brothers, uh, Bruno Fajera, um, Josiani, I think how you say it, Nunez on the early prelims. Buy your stock now because... Uh, this was a showcase night, and the people that we thought were being showcased ended up getting knocked the fuck out. So, um, yeah, he's good as shit. And Terrence McKinney, I still think, has unbelievable potential. He just ran into an absolute buzzsaw here. That's that's it in the story. Yeah, I mean, Ishmael's 27. Gabriel, his brother's 25. They both get finishes in their UFC debuts. They both won contracts on the same night of contender series. We just have to keep having them fight on the same card until the formula gets spoiled because it's amazing when you can have those storylines together. Um, and the fact that they come out here and do, I mean, Terrence McKinney to knock him out. That said a lot for your UFC debut. And I think submitting Munir Lazez is a, that's a big debut. Like I know he's not some crazy generational talent, but that is still a solid fighter that you go and do just easy work, no issue whatsoever, finish him mm-hmm. in the first round via sub. Ismail and Gabriel bomb theme. Wow. It's cool to see a pair of brothers that are going to potentially dominate like this. It's exciting. Yeah, that's very exciting, especially both making their debuts, both coming off the contender series where they fought on the same card as well. It's like kind of like it. You don't see a lot of that. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting yeah. to see that, you know. Feels a little like the Noguera brothers, you know, when they were on yeah. their rise and pride and stuff. So it's uh, sure. it's exciting. Um, so that's it for the rest. But Dominic, the below average bet slip. I believe now we're just pl- flashing up a graphic and you're just going to kind of uh, talk through a little bit, right? Isn't that what we kind of said we were going to start doing since it's a little clunky trying to 
cut in yeah. anything like directly. So Dominic, as you all know, is carrying the below average bet slip in my as I am still suspended. And by the way, to ghost bets, I'm going to go ahead and say mine so that way it doesn't make Dominic's uh, results here. It makes Dominic's results look a little better here. Uh, I went 0 for 3 <laughs> on my ghost bets. So just when I thought I was, uh, you know, I had yet to, I'd been 2 and 1, 3 and 0, then 2 and 1, then 2 and 1. I'd been really doing pretty well. And then I just got humbled again. 0 and 3. I had Terrence McKinney money line. Davis and Figueredo money line and Glover to share a money line. So I was just on the wrong end of everything this night. So Dominic, the below average bet slip. I just I have to point this out first. Noah has suspended himself and he's trying to better himself, as we all should in life. And I love him and respect him for that. The problem here is that ever since his suspension, I have went negative in every single week for the below average bet slip. <laughs> And uh, it goes no different last night. Two and three, minus 1.25 units. So not a horrendous night by any means. But I, let me just break this down for you guys. You're going to see something on the screen here. I don't know what yet, but you're going to see it. But let me break it down. First off, the two hits. Brandon Moreno, money line, hit, minus 125. We had a parlay. Almeida finish, Cody Stamen, and Tiago Moises, money line. That one hit all as well. This is where it gets fun, Noah. For one of the bets that lose. Just Condrage by finish at plus 110. It was plus money. Getting Andrade from minus 500 to plus 110. Had to take the value. She finishes nearly everyone. Lauren Murphy, I knew the danger. I knew the danger. She had five losses coming in, only been finished once. But she hadn't fought anyone like Andrade. Look at that fight and tell me that that's not a good bet in hindsight. I don't care if it went the distance. That fight could have been stopped depending on the ref, depending on the corner work. Andrade did everything she could to stop that fight murphy's just too damn tough i don't know if i can ever better against her again to be finished so that one hurt really bad but i'm going to tell you what hurt a little worse because i didn't learn my lesson because what did i say no on thursday oh there's no way jamal hill and glover go the distance there's no way which is also what i said <laughs> about glover and yuri Perhaska. it didn't go the distance but it it surpassed all of the over unders we'll put it that way parlay mm. last night rodriguez fajera under two and a half Easy money. Craig Walker under two and a half. Light work. Tashara Hill under, wait for it, four and a half rounds. I took the under four and a half. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Let it out. I wish you could have seen my oh, reaction man. last night to those two fights, Noah, because those two bets right there miss. The other one was um, Nunez by finish. I kind of just took a stab because I thought she'd finish her opponent, but she didn't. It's whatever on that one. But those two hurt very badly, but we live to fight another day. We have a week off this week. We'll see what happens in February. Maybe soon I can rejoin you, Dom, but after an 0-3 night, <laughs> my confidence is once again shaken. <laughs> so, um, And also, in sports betting in general, for the first two weeks of the year, I was plus 20 units across – NFL, college football, NBA, college basketball, and hockey. I'm now plus 10 units. So I've lost 10 units in the last week. So I am back to being a below average gambler. So it's uh, it was nice while it lasted. After two weeks, I'm not going to lie, I think I let the success go to my head. I started convincing <laughs> myself. I, I was like, I might be. I was like, I was like, guys, no joke. I might be the best sports gambler in the world. I was like, holy shit, like I can't lose. Yeah. 
Now I am the, I do know puck. I do know puck. I am the best hockey gambler ever. Uh, literally hitting at like an 80% clip right now. I mean, I'm just, it's unreal what I can do with the puck. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, follow me at TWIS underscore betting if you want daily picks, but, or fade them, you know, whatever. So Dominic, uh, not to take over your segment there, but that is it for the below average bets. There's only one way we end the show around here though. That's a little segment we like to call closing statements. Point of the show where me and Dominic can talk about anything and everything, MMA related or not. So Dominic, do you have any closing statements for today? Um, I'm gonna actually keep it not necessarily MMA related, but betting related. I kind of want to know now that we're both just in full swing. We get to bet every day on all the sports and whatnot. What is everyone's favorite sport to bet on? Um, I know that through this first month, basically, I've enjoyed, I'll, I'll say, I've never watched so much NBA basketball in my life. I've really had a lot of fun betting NBA, uh, a lot of player props and parlays and things like that. I, I've had my successes. I've had my losses. Same with, like, football and stuff. Obviously, we're in the playoffs now, so there's less to bet on. So if I had to choose right now from the few sports I've gotten to dabble with so far, I will probably say that I have enjoyed betting the NBA the most because it's allowed me to watch the sport more. That And I had really fallen out of watching as much uh, basketball, so that's what's kind of been the most fun part for me. So I'm going to go NBA, my favorite sport right now, until I lose a bunch of money to bet on. Hockey. <laughs> I, I, thought that's I don't know said. how I do it. I don't know how I... I don't know how I became such a master of the puck, but I but I have. Um, there's a lot of good opportunities. If any of you guys want to start betting hockey, I know jack shit about hockey. Now I've been watching the games like that I bet on. I'm not going blind here, but in a way I am going blind because I know absolutely nothing. I don't know a single like I I know the teams, but I don't know a single fucking player besides like Sidney Crosby. So I am legit, but yet I'm like killing it. So I think there's a lot of good opportunities if you want to get into hockey. It's actually not too hard so far. I'm going to keep mine uh, gambling related as well, Dom. Um, My local casino, I had been, I had had a very unprecedented hot streak. And it's not with sports betting. It's with slot machines. I may be the slot whisperer, Dom. Just might be. Because the last three times I've been to this casino, I have gone to the same machine, and I have hit for a massive amount of money three straight times. Three straight times. However, I thought I had figured it out. I thought I had cracked the code. Because every time I went up to this machine, I put a fresh $100 bill in, did not use one of the tickets. You know, you like cash out at a different machine. I didn't use a ticket. So that way when I put that fresh 100 in, the machine is registering that like, oh, this is a new user. So I thought the key was to keep letting it register that I'm like a newbie. And I, w- and I always do the max bet. So I was doing $10 spins. And... <laughs> They get and then every time within like five spins, I would get this massive like number. 
and then I'd let it go down just a little bit, and then I'd cash out. So I said the key is to put a fresh hundred in, let the big sum of money come in, and then you cash out. Well, Dom, I tried it again last night, and I lost three hundred dollars. So, uh, uh, I told myself it was only going to be a hundred because I think I texted you guys when I had I'd lost a hundred. But then I, after the games were over, I was sitting in the sportsbook area, and I said. There's no, I said that, that that was just a bad spin. Like I got to go back. Yeah. I got yeah. to, sh- surely if I do it this time, it'll work. Right. And it didn't. And then I took another hundred out and I said, okay, <laughs> last chance here. Uh, so, so I think my good luck ran out, but man, what a ride it was. Three straight trips to the casino hitting on the same machine. Dude, uh, that's when third time's the char can Third time's the charm completely just goes against itself. He wins three straight times. Then last night he tries three different times to win, and it doesn't happen. It's like, uh, nah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's time Noah goes to a new machine now. They might have figured him out. Yeah, I think they're on to me. Big, big gambling's on to me. The, the, <laughs> uh, but, yeah. I'm uh, Noah Baker. That's Dominic Slee. We are but just two of the below-average Joes, and we'll see you guys on... I know it's a week off, but I think we're going to release something here soon. So either Friday or Monday, I don't know. All right, see ya.